Today our message is entitled, What Does Repentance Mean? What does repentance mean? Now, repentance, you know, it really isn't a word that's used a lot in our daily life. You don't see, I haven't done a search, but in the news you don't see a lot of talk about repentance or repenting. It's not a word that we use a lot in daily talk, but repentance is one of the most important topics in the Bible. Why is repentance so important? It's so important because repentance is a requirement for being saved. Repentance is a requirement for becoming a child of God. Without repentance, a person cannot be saved. So it's important for us to understand what it is because hell really is populated by people who have not repented. And repentance is not just something you do once in your life, but it is meant to be practiced daily. That's what believers do. They learn how to continually repent. And so it's important for us to understand what it means. In the Greek language, the word for repent is metanoeo. And that word means to change one's mind. It means to turn around. To change one's mind about something, to turn around. That's very important for us to understand that. I'm going to talk more about what that means in a minute. Now, John the Baptist's ministry in the New Testament began with calling people to do what? To repent. Jesus' ministry is summarized in the same way in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. There's an outline in your bulletin that you can follow along with the slides up here. He said, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus' message was summarized. He's talking about the kingdom. We'll talk more about that next Sunday. But he's calling on people to repent. To change their minds about their sin. To turn away from that sin and to believe in the gospel. To put their faith in God. So let's look a little more closely at what it, what it really means to repent. The Bible teaches that everyone worships something or someone. There are no exceptions. You say, well, an atheist doesn't worship. Well, he doesn't worship God. But everyone worships something or someone. There are no exceptions. And God's word tells us that he has revealed himself to everyone on the planet. Sometimes people, well, what about the people in... I don't know, Africa or New Guinea or what God has revealed himself to everyone on the planet. He tells us about that in Romans 1 verse 21. He says, speaking of people who are not believers, he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what this whole passage, we're not going to read it, it's not our main text this morning, is telling us is that God has revealed himself to everyone on this planet through creation. You look at the stars, you look at the sun, you look at the moon, you look at the plants, the animals, everything we have here and the only logical, rational conclusion is that somebody created this. 
This did not just happen by itself. That there was a God behind it. You look at people. They didn't just happen by random chance. Somebody created people. That there is a God behind it all. But people did not acknowledge. Many people did not acknowledge that there was a God. They did not give thanks to Him as this verse says. They did not honor Him. And they chose another option to worship. Rather than worshiping the one true God, the Creator. And so there are only two options to worship that we have. The first is the one that everyone should do. They should worship the one true God, the Creator God. Or the other option is to worship created things. There's a Creator and there's all these created things. So the second option is to worship created things. Could be images. That's what we think of people in some primitive society worshiping a little idol of some one kind or another, a little image that they've set up. We don't normally do that in America. Some people still do. But you can worship a lot of things other than God. You can worship people or a certain person. You can worship pleasure. You can worship power. You can worship money. The list is endless of things that you can worship. And the Bible says that when you worship anything other than God, it is an idol. It is an idol, and all idols, the Bible tells us, are empowered by demons. And so idols do have supernatural power, but it's an evil supernatural power. That's why people worship idols. They actually get something out of it. Unfortunately, it is from the dark side. So let's talk a little bit more about what this worship we're talking about. We can worship God or we can worship idols. What is this worship all about? What does it mean? To worship is to, to bow down to something. It's to follow something. It's to submit to something. It's to put something first in your life. It's to love something. We could go on and on. You get the idea. And sometimes, oftentimes, people think they can worship God and they can worship these idols in their life at the same time. If we read the Old Testament, that's what Israel tried to do. They said, I'm going to keep worshiping God, but I'm going to worship my idols at the same time. I'm going to get the best of all worlds. But God has told us we must worship Him alone. If we are worshiping idols, we're not really worshiping Him at all. So back to what is repentance all about. To repent is to change what you worship. To turn away from worshiping idols and to choose to worship God alone. To put God first in your life. Now this next statement I'm going to make is probably something you haven't heard before. But I believe it's very true. Every sin is an act of worship to an idol. Every sin that we ever commit is an act of worship to an idol. That's why it's sin. You see, idols promise us things. If you do this, uh, it's going to give you pleasure. If you do this, it's going to give you power. If you do this, it's going to satisfy you in some way. And when you give in to that temptation, which is what it is, you give, as it were, worship to that idol. 
And that's why that's sin. So Jesus taught us to repent if we give in to worship an idol, if we sin and to ask for his forgiveness. Now, true repentance. Is not simply. Admitting that you've sinned, although that is certainly part of it. And then continuing to sin. There's a common opinion that, hey, you know, I can go to somebody and confess my sin. And. Do it again and then confess and that wipes it out. I'm not I'm forgiven and all this kind of stuff. It's that's not true. That's not what repentance is. True repentance is not just saying, sorry, forgive me and I'm going to keep on sinning. What is true repentance? It's changing your mind. You're not going to do it again. That's what true repentance is all about. It's changing your mind about your sin. A lot of people are, are thinking they're forgiven because they admitted they sinned, but they're just going to keep on doing it. Uh, no, that's not the way it works. True repentance means that if you had a do over in the situation, you were in this exact same situation. You wouldn't do it the next time. You're sorry you did it and you wouldn't do it again. That's what true repentance is. That's what repentance means. So today we're going to be looking in the Gospel of Luke about some of Jesus' teaching on repentance. The first principle we're going to learn from Jesus is you must repent or perish. I don't like the word perish, you know. It doesn't sound very good, does it? So I think I'm going to choose to repent. And that's what Jesus is telling us. Verse 1 of chapter 13, there were some present at that very time who told him, that's Jesus, about the Galileans who blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and he answered them do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way so Pontius Pilate was a brutal Roman prefect who who was not very nice and in this case what apparently happened is he slaughtered some Galileans who were worshiping in the temple and their blood was mixed with the sacrifices they were giving. And Jesus asked the people this question, do you do you think that those who died, who those who were killed by the Roman uh, by this uh, Pilate soldiers were were worse sinners than the others? Now that was a popular belief in Jesus' day. You know, people who suffered some tragedy must suffer that tragedy for a reason. They must be really bad sinners. That's why these people were killed. Jesus answers his own question in verse 3. He says, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so Jesus says, no, those who died were not worse sinners than the others that were spared. And when you hear of such a disaster... Jesus says, don't think about those who died as worse than you, kind of making yourself feel better. You know, I was spared and they died, so they must have been really bad. When there's a disaster, examine your own life. Examine your own life and repent of your sin. Or you are going to perish eternally as well. Verse 4, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who were lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, 
you will all likewise perish. So Jesus now talks about another disaster. The first was a, a violent death at the hands of some soldiers. This was a, apparently an accident. A wall was not built well or else there was a windstorm or something and it collapsed and it fell on 18 people and they died. Again, the question was, were these 18 who died, were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? That's why that happened. The falling of the wall targeted them. And Jesus says, no, that's not why they perished. Rather than think of how bad these people must have been, Jesus was instructing his hearers and us today to look at our own lives. Don't be concerned about these other people. Look at your own life. He was telling those people to look at their own lives and the sin in their own lives that unless they repented before they died, they would perish eternally. So each person must repent in life or they're going to perish in hell forever. So the question we might ask ourselves this morning is our violence, our natural disasters or illnesses, God's judgment on certain people's sins? And the answer is, if we look at all Scripture, including this one, not necessarily. Not necessarily and not in these cases. Sometimes, and we don't have time to go into the instances, sometimes illness, death, violence, or disaster are God's judgment. But we can't assume that's always the case. That's in God's hands. And it's not up to us to speculate and to think of ourselves as better than the people that were affected. Rather, when someone dies and goes into eternity, it should be an opportunity for us to think about eternity. Have we repented of our sins? Are we living for God? Are we ready to meet our maker if something would happen to us? Are those around us who we have influence with, are they ready for eternity? Each person on earth must repent before they pass on or they will eternally perish. And so repentance is turning away from sin and putting God first in your life. We mustn't presume on God's patience, the second principle for today. Verse 6, and he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. So in this parable, the owner of the vineyard represents God. The fig tree represents someone who claims to be a believer. And every fig tree is expected to bear fruit. That's why people plant fig trees. Fig trees aren't planted just to look at. They're planted to bear figs, to bear fruit. And every believer is also expected to bear fruit in their lives. What is the fruit that's expected in the life of a believer? It's simply to do the good works that God has called you to do in your life. The Bible tells us that every person... Every believer has good works that God has planned for you to do. He has a plan for your life. And the good works is simply carrying out God's plan, doing what he calls you to do. So the owner came to inspect this fig tree. He expected to find fruit, but he found nothing. The fig tree was barren. 
Verse 7, and he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? So now we discover that God had been looking at this fig tree, trying to find fruit on it for three long years, but he had found nothing. And God was thinking about cutting this fig tree down as it was using up ground in the vineyard. Perhaps another fig tree could be planted there, and that one would actually bear fruit. Verse 8, and he answered him, the vine dresser, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well, and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So I believe this vine dresser is representing God's mercy. He's asking for patience. Give this fig tree a fourth chance to bear fruit. Give it one more year. Give it the fourth year. It should have bore fruit on the first year. But give it one more year. Have patience with this tree. And if it finally bears fruit in this fourth year, then your patience will be rewarded. If it bears no fruit in the fourth year, then you can cut it down. So what is cutting a fig tree down? What does that represent? Well, we can look at other parables of Jesus. It represents being cut down and cast into hell because this person, represented by the fig tree, did not bear any fruit. Let's talk some more about how this parable warns us against presuming on God's patience. The sin, as it were, of this fig tree is that it did not produce fruit. It did not do the good works that God had planned for it to do. Oftentimes, people think of sin as only things they should not do. You know, the bad things, right? When we think of sin, it's, I'm not supposed to you know, kill somebody, I'm not supposed to commit adultery, I'm not supposed to, all the bad things, that's sin, that's what we're not supposed to do. And yet, not doing the good things that God has planned for you to do is just as wrong as doing the bad things. In fact, in this story, the fig tree wasn't doing bad things, right? It just wasn't producing any fruit. It wasn't doing the good things it should have been doing. And that's part of the point of the story. And God is very patient. We see his patience with this fig tree, waiting for three years and getting no return out of this fig tree, and then giving it a fourth year. God's patience, waiting for people to repent, often causes people to think that God's judgment is never going to come, that there are no consequences to their sin. God is very patient. The Bible says God is patient, not wanting any to perish. In fact, that's one of the reasons why Jesus hasn't come back yet. He's given people time to repent. Because when Jesus comes back, there will be no time to repent. That time will be past. And so when God's patience with sin runs out in a person's life, one of two things can happen. The first possibility is the Holy Spirit will stop convicting the person of sin. He will allow their conscience to become seared. There are people who, who are so immersed in sin that they don't even sense it's wrong anymore. 
And so, of course, you're not going to repent of something you don't even think is wrong. You think wrong is right. If the Holy Spirit stops convicting a person of sin, that person is never going to repent. God's grace has ended with that person. Second possibility is that the person will die. And if they die before they've repented of their sin, they're going to perish apart from the presence of God. And so we must not presume on God's patience. It's not going to last forever. We tend to look around us at other people and say, well, they're getting away with it. They're sinning. They seem to be having a good time. Maybe. It doesn't really matter or not because their eternal destiny, if they don't repent, is going to be terrible. Today is the time to repent. Today is the time to bear good fruit for the Lord in our lives. Now, behind violence, behind disasters, behind failing to bear fruit, is our enemy, Satan. He is behind it. He is the one who seeks to draw us away from God. He is the one who tempts us. He is the one who steals, kills, and destroys, the Bible tells us. Now, this next section is going to enlighten us as to what demons can do to people and show us how Jesus breaks demonic power. Verse 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And so this woman, worshiping in the synagogue, had this disability for 18 long years. She was bent over. She couldn't straighten up. And we might think, well, she must have arthritis. You know, she's got a bad back. She has scoliosis, something like that. But that was not the ultimate cause. In this case, Jesus said the cause was an evil spirit. It was a demon here called a disabling spirit. And so the root cause of disability, this disability was not physical, but spiritual. Now, we have no idea what caused this demon to afflict her for these 18 long years. It doesn't say. But I'm not going to speculate. I have no idea. I could speculate, but I'm not going to. Verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. So Jesus, seeing this woman, he was able to discern what the cause of her problem was. It wasn't a physical problem. It was, a, uh, it was really a spiritual problem. There was a demonic spirit that had caused her to be doubled over, you know how painful that must have been to walk through life that way for these 18 long years. Jesus understood what the root of the problem was. He spoke to the woman. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was set free from this demonic disability. The power of the demon was broken after 18 long years. But the ruler of the synagogue became indignant and, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. So the Lord answered him, and ought not, ought, this, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So the Jewish leaders were all up on a tizzy, as they often were, because Jesus had healed somebody on the Sabbath. 
And I, I think uh, Jesus just did it on purpose because they had it all wrong about what the Sabbath was, that you couldn't do even work for God on the Sabbath. And so Jesus was telling them, if you read the whole passage, that look, you know, if you've got an ox and he needs to drink water, you're going to loosen him from his rope and lead him out to the stream to drink water. You say, that's okay. They had all kinds of rules about tying and loosing things that if you do this little thing, it's work and you can't do it. And it was just, and it was a, a, a terrible situation. All these rules and regulations. And so he's saying, well, I'm just unloosing this woman. Just as you unloose an ox to drink, I'm unloosing her from this demonic spirit that's kept her disabled for 18 long years. Other examples of Satan's destructive power that we read is sometimes in a person's life is sometimes a result of sin in a, a person's life. Doesn't seem to be the case here. Demons can latch on to people for many different reasons. I don't have time to go into that this morning. But this demonic power was causing this bondage in her back. Jesus loosed it and set her free. And so Jesus is able or was able then and is able today through us to set people free from demonic bondages of all kinds. So the Bible teaches us that Satan is behind all kinds of sicknesses, disabilities, diseases. Some diseases can be healed through modern medicine and others cannot. Medicine could never have healed this woman of the problems she had. It was caused solely by an evil spirit. But the things that Jesus did, he's given the power and authority to believers today to do in his name as well which is using his power when we do it in the name of Jesus. There is a spiritual gift called discerning of spirits that allows the person operating in that spiritual gift to see what is the cause of the, a problem in someone's life. And that's basically what Jesus was operating in. The Holy Spirit was revealing to him that this woman's problem was not a curvature of the spine. It was a spirit that was causing that spine to and so we don't need to be afraid of the demons that are around us today in the name of Jesus we have power over them but there's really very little talk about demons today it's, it's considered somewhat primitive you know do we really believe in those things isn't that a myth from years ago demons are much more prevalent today than most people realize Why do we know that? Well, one of the reasons is because Jesus' ministry was summarized multiple places by doing three things. First of all, he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. Secondly, he healed people. And thirdly, he cast out demons. As we read through the gospels, he's doing that on just about every other page. And he's showing us that's not just what things were like back 2,000 years ago. That's what things are like today. The same spirits are in operation today as they were back then. When Jesus cast demons out of people, it didn't kill the demon. He just went looking for another person to afflict. And I know there's a lot more people today than there was in Jesus' day, but 
there are undoubtedly billions and billions of these demons as there are angels. There's twice as many angels as demons, but that's the topic of another message. May God help us to believe that Jesus can break demonic power through us as well for people who are bound in different ways and set people free. So today we've talked about what does repentance mean. It's not just saying, sorry, forgive me so I can go to heaven. It's turning away from your sin and turning to Jesus. Stopping what you're doing and starting to do the good things God has called you to do. Without repentance, no one can be saved. Without repentance, no believer can grow in their spiritual walk and do the good things that God has called them to do. When we see around us, see a big hurricane in Florida, right? People died. Some people think, well, those people must have died because they were really, really bad people. And I think Jesus would say the same thing to us as we see in the scripture today. No. Don't think you're so good because you didn't have a hurricane in Missouri. Examine your own life. Are you ready to meet your maker? Have you repented? Are you walking with God? Are you bearing good fruit in your life? Disaster should cause us to focus on eternity and make sure that we are ready. And it should cause us to think about the people around us. Are they ready? What do I have to do to help them get ready for eternity? If my friend, if my coworker, if my relative has not repented, then they're not ready. And if they pass into eternity through a disaster, through a sickness, through an illness, or simply old age, they're going to spend eternity apart from God. So what can I do? God's patience with a person is not indefinite. And those who do not repent in this life will spend eternity without God. And that's what the devil wants to do. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. To bring as many people as possible to spend eternity without God in a place that was designed to torment devil, the devil and his demons. But will also be filled with unbelievers. May God use us as believers to help set people free from sin, from sickness, demonic powers. Now to become a believer, the first step is what we've been talking about today. It's a step that a lot of people don't understand. Repent. Turn away, change your mind about your sin. Secondly, to believe. You're turning away from sin and you're turning towards something. It's turning towards God, putting your faith in Jesus. Believing that he died on the cross, that your sins might be forgiven. And he rose from the dead. He's alive today. And you are submitting your life to follow him, to worship him alone. That's what it means to be a believer. So we're going to pray right now. I'd encourage you to bow your heads. If you're here in the service or watching online, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to save those who are not saved. So it would also be an opportunity to recommit your life to Him if you feel like you've drifted away from Him and the plan that He has for your life. So let's pray.
Father, today, I repent of my sin. I confess that I have sinned. I have done things that are contrary to your plan for my life. I turn away from those things. I don't want to do them anymore. I believe that Jesus died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. Please forgive me. I believe you rose from the dead three days later and you're alive today. And I submit my life to worship you, to worship you alone from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.